just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Tuesday. we got a busy week, a lot of things happening this week and next week that we can be looking forward to. A lot of stuff to talk about on this show, so that'll be coming up. But before we start with that, I wanted to bring up something else. Right after this podcast, later today, I will release another Rational Boomer Podcast, and this is one of those podcasts with a listener. I love the shows with listeners. I know you like them too, so you should be looking forward to this. But this is kind of a special podcast with a listener. A little different than we normally have. You might remember some months back, I had a listener on the show. His name was Trevor. He's a listener of the Rational Boomer podcast. He watches the TikToks, and I appreciate it immensely. And we were going to talk about politics, but we quickly found out that Trevor was dealing with some of his own issues, uh, some confidence issues, some depression issues, and things like that. So it ended up being kind of me hyping him up, trying to help him gain his confidence. Now, I'm not a professional at this, but I do deal with people who are in business who need to get some motivation, so to speak. So I tried to do that in in, in that conversation. In the process, uh, Trevor and I became friendly. And I said at the end of the show, I said, Trevor, you kind of know what you need to do now. I want you to come back in December and tell me about the things you've done. Um, and that's what happened in this upcoming podcast. And that's why I want you to listen to it, um, as well as talking about some of the issues that he has to deal with and me trying to encourage him in any way possible, because the kid's pretty smart. He's pretty talented, and he has no reason to lack confidence. It's just that his past has been difficult, so he's got to find a way out of that. And, you know, he's got to deal with some of the medical aspects of it, too, which I encourage him to do in addition to whatever I told him. I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert, but I do deal with some people who are starting out in business or in life and, and, and try to give them some direction and understanding of what they should be doing. And instead of sabotaging themselves, they should be working to benefit themselves. Hopefully I was helpful. But in the next podcast, you will hear me talking to Trevor and it's worth the listen. So I will hope that you do that. Now let's get to the business of hand. What's going on in the news currently? And there's a lot of interesting shit. Now, this first story isn't a story I would normally do because it really doesn't deal with politics, but it certainly is current events. And it's in an area that I know very little about. So I'm kind of learning as I go here. There's a young man. He's about 30 years old. His name is Sam Bankman Freed. He is the ex-CEO of defunct cryptocurrency company FTX. He just got arrested in the Bahamas yesterday. Now, you know this story. He had this cryptocurrency company, FTX. He had a lot of famous people invested in it. I think Tom Brady was even involved in it. And it was making tons of money. He himself was a billionaire. But all of a sudden, things went to shit. He's no longer a billionaire. I don't even think he's a millionaire anymore. And FTX has gone by the wayside, and all these people that invested in it have lost their money. So this is a big fucking deal. The Office of the Attorney General of the Bahamas said in an announcement that it will extradite Bankman Freed to the United States, where he is wanted on unspecified criminal charges as soon as a formal request is made. So the United States has to say, please send him home. The Bahamas and the United States have shared interest in holding accountable all individuals associated with FTX who may have betrayed the public trust and broken the law. 
Bahamian Prime Minister Philip Davis said in a statement, Damian Williams, the U.S. Attorney of the Southern District of uh, New York, announced shortly after the arrest that his office expects to unseal its indictment involving Bankman Freed on Tuesday morning, today. Now, as I said, Bankman Freed, this kid, is 30 years old. He served as CEO of the massive cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. Now, I don't know what the difference is from cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency exchange, but it has to do with all the cryptocurrency stuff. Now, when the company suddenly imploded and filed for bankruptcy protection just a short time ago, There were complaints that he misused billions in customers' money. Multiple U.S. regulatory agencies launched investigations into his dealings in the largely unregulated cryptocurrency industry. Now, the thing about cryptocurrency, I know zero about it. I don't understand it. To me, it's just made up shit. But keep in mind, I don't know really what it is. That said, I do own some cryptocurrency. I don't even know where the fuck it is or how I'd access it. Again, uh, I was talking to my son about it. He was kind of into this cryptocurrency stuff. And uh, when that Dogecoin, that kind of joke cryptocurrency that came out, you could buy a million shares for like 30 bucks. So I did. I said, fuck it. I'll just buy a million shares and It's like buying a lottery ticket. Maybe you get lucky, something happens, it gets popular, and it gains gains value. Well, of course, it didn't. I don't even know where Dogecoin is at this point. But the point is, I don't really understand cryptocurrency. It doesn't make sense to me. And it's just because I'm old and maybe not bright enough to comprehend it. But this kid was worth billions of dollars, and then all of a sudden, poof, he's not. Now, news of the arrest in the Bahamas comes the same day that the new FTX CEO, John J. Ray III, who also oversaw Enron's bankruptcy in the early 2000s, gave a statement outlining his predecessor's unacceptable management practices. Well, the kid is fucking 30. You give him billions of dollars... Chances are he's going to make some bad choices, and clearly he did. He went on a spending bid during which approximately $5 billion was spent buying a myriad of businesses and investments, many of which may be worth only a fraction of what he paid for them. It's ironic that a guy would create a company, a cryptocurrency company, somehow turn it into a billion-dollar business, but then make $5 billion worth of investments in other companies and miss on every fucking one of them. How does that happen? You know, I got to think, if you're a young man, it's it's like the the, um, athletes who all of a sudden, you know, they come from the poor side of town and all of a sudden they've got 10 or $20 million and they go fucking hog wild. I can only imagine the same could be said for this kid. Clearly, he's smart because he built this company, but, oh, it got away from him. Got away from him in a big fucking way. The campaign finance watchdog, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, also recently filed a complaint with the Federal Election Commission accusing Bankman Freed of breaking federal laws by using dark money groups to hide millions in campaign donations to Republicans, believe that or not, in the lead up to the 2022 primaries. So he hid millions of dollars in campaign donations to Republicans. This guy can't get a break. (laughs) He gets lucky one day. He creates a cryptocurrency exchange. He's worth billions of dollars. And then he just goes wild, starts spending on ridiculous shit, on losing shit. And when that's not enough, he sends millions of dollars to another losing effort. And that is, of course, the Republicans in the midterms. I don't know what's going to come out of this, if this kid is going to go to jail. But wow, what a turn of events. Riding as high as you could possibly be, being a billionaire, now being broke out of your company and coming back 
to an indictment. Fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm glad I only have 30 bucks in cryptocurrency because uh, there are people out there that have millions, tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions in this cryptocurrency exchange. And uh, they are scampering around right now because they've lost their money. I don't know if there's any hope that they will get it back, but it ain't looking good. And it's certainly not looking good for this Bankman Freed guy, 30-year-old kid. He's going to come back. He's going to go to court, probably do some jail time. Fucking A. All right, let's talk to something more familiar to me. Let's talk about politics a bit. Uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has received a subpoena by Special Counsel Jack Smith and his investigation of former President Donald Trump, who focused strongly on the state as he sought to overturn the 2020 election. I didn't know Jack Smith was going to go this way with it. I know he was looking into the insurrection and all the things around Washington, D.C. and in the uh, the Capitol on January 6th. But now he's heading down to Georgia. He wants to talk to Brad Raffensperger. Actually, what he wants is documents sent over to him, more than likely to support the things he's finding up in Washington, D.C., because it of course, all ties in. Now, Smith was appointed last month, as you know, to oversee not only the Justice Department's Mar-a-Lago investigation, but also Trump's efforts to stay in power, including his effort in Georgia. So apparently it's not just the attack on the Capitol. It's everything surrounding that. And I guess you would get that indication when we found out that he is, in fact, uh, sending subpoenas to those people in swing states that are um, were looking to be fake electors. That's the interesting thing about this. When January 6th happened in the insurrection, the Republicans wanted us to believe that it was just a bunch of crazy guys that got out of hand and went into the Capitol. But as it turns out, as it's being investigated, we're finding a lot of other branches to this effort. Donald Trump calls Raffensperger, tries to a strong arm him into overturning the election in Georgia. It didn't work, of course. We also hear that uh, Donald Trump and the people around Donald Trump were involved in getting these Trumplefucks, these redneck motherfuckers, up to the Capitol. We know Jenny Thomas offered to pay for some buses to come up to the Capitol. We know that Donald Trump and Jenny uh, Thomas had several meetings. We know that Jenny Thomas was involved in a number of meetings with uh, the administration. So we know there was some planning there. And if that weren't enough, of course, we know now that there was an effort by state legislators to offer up fake electors. And we know these fake electors were prodded into doing this by people in the administration. So this has become quite a mess. I mean, this is pretty fucked up. This was a well-planned-out effort, and they had at least three branches to getting this done. If one didn't work, they'd try the other. And, of course, the, the, the first and foremost effort they had was convincing Mike Pence to not certify the election. Now, these people were too stupid to know that that wasn't even possible. He did not have the power to do that. But someone, someone in Trump's administration was convinced that he could do it, convinced Donald Trump he could do it, and then he pressured Mike Pence. Now, Mike Pence, people like to make out to be the hero because he didn't do it. He certified the election like he was supposed to do. But he didn't really have many options, and he did spend some time talking to people like former Vice President Dan Quayle, trying to figure out how he could appease Donald Trump. I don't know if he was afraid or if he thought it was possible, but he looked at every avenue he could to see if he could do what Donald Trump wanted him to do. 
to no avail. He found no way that he could legally do it. So even if Donald Trump wanted to do it, even if Mike Pence wanted to do it, it wasn't going to happen because it just was not possible. Now, Jack Smith has really kicked everything up a notch now. He's going after a lot of people, sending out a lot of subpoenas. We know he sent them out to the fake electors. And now he sent a subpoena to Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia. Now, the interesting thing with him, he is a Republican, and he got a lot of heat from Republicans in Georgia because he wouldn't fold to what Donald Trump wanted him to do. In spite of that, Raffensperger did get reelected in 2022's midterms. So he was the Secretary of State. He will continue to be the Secretary of State. But now he's got a Jack Smith subpoena from the DOJ. The subpoena, which is dated Friday and was received by Raffensperger's office Monday, yesterday, follows others served last week in several states and counties. Like those other locations, Georgia was a target of Trump and his allies as they sought to overturn the loss. So Jack Smith is looking for some documents that Greg, or Greg Brad Raffensperger has. And it's going to be interesting. We know that Fonnie Willis is working real hard in Georgia to possibly indict Donald Trump for the very same thing that Jack Smith is looking into. Can you imagine that? Having a crime you committed on audio tape with your voice, you have the uh, district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, investigating with a grand jury and going after Donald Trump. And then on top of it, the DOJ and Jack Smith coming after his ass as well. This has got to be troublesome from Donald Trump. I've been hearing some stories about him, and it's interesting. Since the moment he announced that he was running for president, somehow he stayed indoors. He's staying in Mar-a-Lago. You'd think he'd be doing rallies and all this sort of stuff, but he's not. He's not out there. He'll put out some true social shit now and again, and it's usually fucking crazy. But he's not out there running around the country talking his shit. Donald Trump is nervous. He is afraid. He knows the possibility that he could go to jail. He knows this. And somebody like Donald Trump, as much as he's a narcissist and as much as he brags about himself, it all stems from insecurity. So if you ever want to see an insecure motherfucker, especially now, that would be Donald Trump. Now, Jack Smith is seeking any and all communications in any form between June 1st, 2020 and January 20, 20th, 2021. These are two from or involving Trump, his campaign lawyers and aides, including former campaign officials such as Bill Stepien and Justin Clark, and lawyers John Eastman, Boris Epstein, L. Lynn Wood, Sidney Powell, and former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, according to the subpoena. Now, efforts by Trump and his associates to reverse his loss in Georgia are currently the subject of a separate investigation, as I said, led by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis in Atlanta. A special grand jury seated to aid the investigation was heard from or has heard from dozens of witnesses, including a number of high-profile Trump allies over the past six months. And they're expecting that investigation is going to wrap up soon. And when it wraps up, then Fonnie Willis has to decide about indictments. Do I indict Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, Eastman? Do do we indict them? See, here's the fucking crazy thing about this. Fonnie Willis could indict all those people. And at the same time, Jack Smith could indict all those people and more, possibly. So can you imagine getting a state indictment and a federal indictment for the same crimes? That's going to fucking drive you nuts. Among other things, Willis is investigating the January 2nd, 2021 phone call between Trump and Raffensperger. And that's going to be the thing that fucks him over. I mean, he committed the crime on audio tape. 
This is going to be valuable to Jack Smith on the federal level, and it's going to be incredibly valuable to um, Fonnie Willis in Georgia. And you can bet in the documents that Jeff Smith is asking for from uh, Brad Raffensperger, that tape's going to be included, and any other tapes. We know that Lindsey Graham spoke to Raffensperger twice. We know that Rudy Giuliani went to Georgia and spoke to people at least once. So there's a lot of information to be had. Uh, Fonnie Willis has had this grand jury going for some time, so there's no doubt been a lot of evidence collected. We know that grand juries, everything that happens in them is secret, so we don't know the half of it. But soon, Jack Smith will also know all of it, as well as Fonnie Willis. This is going to be problematic for Donald Trump. Now, it was not immediately clear whether any counties in Georgia had also received subpoenas from the special counsel. Now, the weeks following the 2020 election, Trump focused in part on Fulton County, which includes most of the city of Atlanta, making unsupported allegations of election fraud. But the county had not received a subpoena by Monday morning, a spokesperson said. And that's yet another location they can go to. Can they go to, they will go to uh, the county as well as the state and Fonnie Willis, of course, Brad Raffensperger, and of course, anything they've gathered federally. We thought Jack Smith being hired was going to slow things down. Heavens no. It has sped everything up. It has sped everything up very quickly. And this is not good news for Donald Trump. Donald Trump has got to be spinning wherever he's at. Because all of a sudden, this shit is going to come raining down on him. As I've said before, somebody like Donald Trump has all kinds of tricks up their sleeve. They bully, they lie, they gaslight. But guess what? That's not working now. It's not being effective. So he is lost. And that may be part of the reason why he's locking himself down at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, he's got Republicans that don't want to see his fucking face. All he's left with right now is his base, which is anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of the Republican Party. So he's he's he doesn't have a lot of friends anymore, certainly friends with any power. Anybody with common sense is stepping away from him. I mean, save for the likes of Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Paul Gozars. Lauren Boebert, those fucks, they're still supporting him, and they still feel like they have to stand behind him. But some of the people that are stepping away from Donald Trump now are learning something very quickly. They waited too long. They can try to step away from Donald Trump, but that stain, that stink from Donald Trump is going to hang with them for a long time, if not forever. Donald Trump is finding himself in a position he's never had in his life. Throughout his whole life with rich parents and then running a company with a bunch of yes men around him and then being president where everybody agreed to whatever he said regardless of how fucking crazy it was, this guy did whatever he wanted to do and he was never held accountable for it. Well, things have changed. He's no longer the president. He's no longer running a big company that's making him all kinds of money. The only thing he can do to make money now is grift money from his followers, and even that is starting to wane at this point. They're either running out of money or running out of confidence in Donald Trump or fucking both. It's not going well for Donald Trump. And I've said this all along. People always say, well, I'll only be happy if he's handcuffed and put in jail. Well, that may happen. They may not have any choice because when you commit the crimes Donald Trump is is, is accused of, uh, you can't just let him run free. Somebody's got to be accountable. And in spite of the fact that he's a former president, it would be more harmful to this country to not hold him accountable. I think that's why Jack Smith is there. Jack Smith is a hard-nosed guy. He's used to going after high-profile people. So he is the one to be the guy 
dogging Donald Trump. And he will. And he will. And again, remember what that what that means is he's going to decide whether Donald Trump will be indicted, not Merrick Garland. That said, Merrick Garland will have to sign off on it. But I don't think there's going to be any question or any problem for getting Merrick Garland to sign off on any of this stuff. All the evidence that Jack Smith is sifting through has already been seen and is known by Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland's biggest concern is making it look political and getting shit about it being political. So he put a safety net in there. He brought in Jack Smith, somebody who's separate from the administration, somebody who's separate from the DOJ. So if anybody does scream about it, and you know they will no matter what, whether there's any basis in fact, they'll still scream about it. They can say, hey, Jack Smith is separate. He's like a special master, but he's not a special master because we know they just got rid of the special master. We'll talk more about that later. He's a special counsel. He's technically unbiased. He's not registered as a Democrat or a Republican. Now, that said, Donald Trump did try to fuck around and try to discredit his wife because she is a Democrat. She did donate money to Joe Biden. She did help on a documentary for Michelle Obama. They're trying to say he's not credible because his wife is a Democrat. Well, Donnie, you've been married enough times to know that um, your wife doesn't necessarily agree with you or necessarily does everything that her husband does. At least in my case, I've been married 39 years. If if we disagree on something, she's not going to bend over and fold to me. She's going to do what she wants to do, and I respect that. Whether I agree with her or not, I respect that. Well, if you notice, all this effort to discredit Jack Smith hasn't worked. It's gone by the wayside. It's faded off. They tried hard like they do, but it went nowhere. So now all Donald Trump has to do is wait for the hammer to fall, either by Fonnie Willis or by Jack Smith. And he's waiting on the January 6th committee because next Wednesday, the January 6th committee is going to release all the evidence. We haven't seen half the evidence coming out of the January 6th committee, and it's going to be released for everyone to see. That's going to be a problem for Donald Trump. But in that particular presentation, they're also going to make some criminal referrals. People that they believe committed crimes that they uncovered in their investigation. Now, keep in mind that the January 6th committee cannot indict anybody. They can refer crimes and criminals to the DOJ, and then they decide who to indict. It's only the DOJ that can indict. So for all intents and purposes, these criminal referrals don't hold a lot of weight other than with the DOJ. And what they do with those criminal referrals, who knows? I mean, the DOJ has their own investigation. They don't need Congress to tell them, you should convict these guys because they know all too well who are the criminals. But it does carry some weight, and it does affect the narrative. And you'll hear later when I was talking to Trevor, can you imagine what's going to happen next Wednesday if Benny Thompson from the January 6th committee stands up, or whoever else it might be, and says, we are making criminal referrals, one of them is Donald Trump. Oh, Donnie is going to lose his shit. I might even join Truth Social just to fucking see it firsthand. He is going to be upset by this. He knows he's in trouble. He knows he could be convicted, and he knows he could be going to jail. But somebody like him can set it aside and fool himself by saying, I'm good, I'm all powerful. But when that comes out of the mouth of somebody from the January 6th committee, that is going to make him crazy. And as I've said before, the crazy shit you've heard right now ain't nothing. It's going to get worse as these indictments get closer.
All right. We are going to uh, take a break and we will be right back. Now, I've said this a million times, but it bears repeating. I've always said, don't take Donald Trump off Twitter. Don't stop him from talking. Let him talk away. Let him say whatever he wants to say, because every time he talks, he fucks himself over. Every time he talks, he implicates himself in yet another crime. But the important thing to remember here is it just isn't Donald Trump. It extends to all the little Trumplefucks that follow him, that uh, look at him as their Lord and Savior. And one of the most egregious followers that can't keep her mouth shut and will always fuck herself over is, of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia. Now, yesterday, the White House condemned Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene for her recent boasts. You see, she was giving a talk in front of a group of young Trumplefucks, and she stated that had... She and Steve Bannon been in charge of organizing last year's violent attack on the U.S. Capitol, we would have won. And she said, we would have come with arms, with weapons. <laughs> so this woman stepped on stage, and it's spread all over the media now, that she supports insurrectionists, she supports overthrowing our government. And if that weren't enough, she has the audacity to say, and we would have won because we would have brought weapons and finished the job. So now she's advocating killing American citizens, police officers, members of Congress. What's a motherfucker got to do to get put in jail? I know a lot of people are screaming that she should be put in jail. And I don't know if she can be put in jail by saying those things, but it's important to understand she's in the House of Representatives. In order to be in the House of Representatives, you have to take an oath to protect the Constitution. What she's talking about here is absolutely contradictory to the Constitution. She's not only not protecting the Constitution, she's attacking the Constitution. Again, what's a motherfucker have to do to be put in jail? Now, Green's remarks, um, Deputy White House Press Secretary Andrew Bates said in a statement, are a slap in the face to the law enforcement officers who risk their lives to keep members of Congress safe during the attack. Well, that's the very least you can call it, a slap in the face. Well, yes, it's a slap in the face, but it's also being a traitor being somebody who's going against their oath of office and trying to damage this country. Now, he goes on to say it goes against our fundamental values as a country for a member of Congress to wish that the carnage of January 6th had been even worse and to boast that she would have succeeded in an armed insurrection against the United States government. He continued, all leaders have a responsibility to condemn these dangerous, abhorrent remarks and stand up for our Constitution and rule of law. And to be honest, when she made those statements, there were some audible groans in the audience. She maybe didn't see it, but the people in the audience know she fucked up. That was not the right thing to say. She was trying to be the tough guy, but she made herself look horrible. And a lot of Republicans, fellow members of the House of Representatives, are saying, ah, yeah, yeah, we're not on board with that. Now, Green made the inflammatory comments Saturday at an annual gala hosted by the New York Young Republican Club in Manhattan, where she cracked jokes about media reports saying she was involved in planning the violent attack, where more than 100 people were injured. <laughs> so basically, when she made that statement, she says, I wasn't involved, but if I had been, we would have fucking won. She said, I want to tell you something. If Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. Not to mention, we would have been armed. Now, some people are saying Green was maybe just joking. I don't know about you, but I don't find that fucking funny. Especially since the attack on the Capitol actually did happen. 
It wasn't successful, thank God. But if that's her idea of a joke, well, I'm sorry. I missed it. I don't find it funny. She's trying to support the fact that she wasn't involved by saying, yeah, but if I was, we would have done it right. Now, the fact of the matter is they want to tell you that the rioters on January 6th weren't armed. They did show up with arms. They had stun guns, pepper spray, baseball bats, and other tools wielded as weapons. There were even some guns there. And there were some guns stacked up in a hotel room someplace away from the Capitol for the second wave that they were planning. Now, after the White House condemned her comments, Green on Monday issued a lengthy statement defending herself, not taking it back, defending what she said. She said the White House needs to learn how sarcasm works. <laughs> no, Margie, you need to understand what sarcasm is and what uh, incitement is. My comments were making fun of Joe Biden and the Democrats who have continuously made me a political target since January 6th, she said. Her statement also included several references to the Second Amendment and firearms. Of course it fucking did. The only time Democrats support the Second Amendment is when armed Antifa LARPers want to defend perverts at a drag queen story time. <laughs> or when leftist Hollywood celebs and politicians are protected by armed bodyguards. I find this funny because next Wednesday, the January 6th committee is going to release all the evidence about January 6th, all the evidence, text messages. And there were a lot of text messages, a lot of them going to Mark Meadows. And we'll be talking about that in the show. <laughs> but I guarantee you, there are some Marjorie Taylor Greene emails and text messages that will come to light. And her comments here won't age well, as they say. Green, along with a handful of other far-right Republicans, have demanded sympathy for jailed January 6th rioters and alleged they are being held in exceptionally terrible conditions. Well, bitch, it's jail. You tried to overthrow the country, you're in jail. This isn't going to be a fucking vacation. She goes on to say, I've never seen human suffering like I witnessed last night, she tweeted after visiting rioters at a D.C. correctional facility. While some were shown to us in seemingly beneficial programs, others were in torturous lockdowns. I will never forget hearing their screams. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll bet you heard some fucking screams. You better get used to it, Margie, because you're going to be one of the motherfuckers screaming. Because you're not going to get loose from this. She told Huffington Post last month that she'd asked Steve Scalise, Representative Steve Scalise of Louisiana, a member of the House Republican leadership team, if he would support investigations into the treatment of pretrial January 6th defendants and said that he supported the idea. You sure you want to do that, Steve? Now, you remember Steve Scalise has some experience with this. He was one of the guys that got shot up during that baseball game. All the Republicans were out there, and some clown came along and shot him up. Steve Scalise was in fucking the hospital for God knows how long. But he supports not punishing the January 6th insurrectionist. Margie, you're on the wrong fucking team, and things aren't looking good. Things are going to be exposed. There is a videotape. There is text messages. There is emails. Guarantee you, you're going to show up in the mix. The only reason your name hasn't come up at this point is because it was prior to the midterms and they didn't want to be, be accused of being political. But now the midterms are over. Margie, you won. But let's see how long you stay in the House of Representatives. If there are going to be people expelled from the House of Representatives, I'm guessing you're going to be in the fucking thick of it. 
Now, Green is expected to become a powerful GOP figure next year in the GOP-led House. Her party's leaders have vowed to restore her committee assignments. Why not? She's dumb as fuck. The Republican Party is dumb as fuck. Why not reinstate her? Now, the Democrats stripped her of all those committee assignments last year because of her hateful and conspiratorial statements, including one's casting doubt on school shootings and the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. Oh, yeah, she's full-blown QAnon. Those school shootings didn't occur. Well, Margie, have you been watching Alex Jones? See how that's played out for him? He was a school shooting, a Sandy Hook denier. Now he's going to be broke as a motherfucker, never going to be able to make money again. And because he tried to hide money, he might even be going to jail. Maybe you and Alex Jones, Margie and Alex Jones, could be in the same cell and you guys could be screaming together. I got to admit, if I was stuck in a jail cell with any one of those fuckers, I'd be screaming my head off too. That would be cruel and unusual punishment. Now, I've been talking about text messages, and there was a bombshell report revealed Monday that a Republican congressman sent a text message to former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows demanding that then-President Donald Trump institute martial law. I have to say this. He he spelled martial law, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. It's not named after a guy named Marshall. That's not correct. Martial law would be spelled M-A-R-T-I-A-L. This is a fucking guy in the House of Representatives. He doesn't even know how to spell martial law. But he wanted martial law to keep Joe Biden from winning the White House. This is a current sitting member of the House of Representatives. That text message went to Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of Donald Trump. That's been exposed. That's been publicized. How do you think that's going to wear on on uh, good old uh, Representative Ralph Norman? Now, where I first saw this was on MSNBC with Rachel Maddow, and she pretty much eviscerated Ralph Norman for his text message, begging for Trump to declare martial law, even after the former president had incited a riot at the United States Capitol. See, he text messaged like the 17th of January, which is well past January 6th. He still wasn't done with it after the insurrection happened. Apparently, he didn't see the negative aspects of the insurrection. Apparently, he was only concerned that it failed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking unbelievable. And marveling about the seditious radicalism of a member of Congress, somebody wants to suspend the Constitution and keep the guy in power by force using military force to do it. This is this is uh, Rachel Maddow. I mean, marveling at some member of Congress being that far out there. I mean, there's something we 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 get to do from time to time. She said, but right now, knowing this is what he was advocating, to take power by force. Knowing he was advocating, that is one thing. Knowing he and his party are going back to Congress as the new majority party for next year, that feels like something different, because what are they going to do with real power when they have it? And that's, that's exactly right. Thank God. Thank God they don't have that much power. And when the indictments start flying, that's going to fuck them over big time, not to mention the fact that they can't come together and agree on anything. She went on to say that the text message from Norman comes along with thousands of other text messages that came from Meadows as part of his cooperation with the House Select Committee investigation. Now, you remember when he was initially subpoenaed, for whatever reason, Meadows gave him all the documents but refused to testify. But those documents gave up some very interesting evidence. 
Now, what you need to know, Norman, this representative, wasn't the only one sending text messages to Meadows. There were 34 members of the House of Representatives and other political people that were sending text messages to Meadows. You think Marjorie Taylor Greene is in that mix? I'm guessing so. I'm guessing you might see Lauren Boebert, you might see Kevin McCarthy, you might see Jim Jordan, you might see a lot of people. Because you see, nobody could get to Donald Trump directly, not even his own fucking kids. They had to go through Mark Meadows. So a lot of text messages went to Mark Meadows. And as luck would have it, dumbass Mark Meadows turned over all those text messages to the January 6th committee. And guess what? Come December 21st, all that evidence, all those text messages are going to be on a website someplace that any dumb fuck like me could download, read, and report. And you can bet I will. Since we're talking about dumb fucks, let's talk about a district judge who is a dumb fuck. District Judge Aileen Cannon on Monday officially ended a special master proceeding that former President Donald Trump had sought after government documents were seized from his Mar-a-Lago resort. You remember her, Judge Aileen Cannon. She is the judge that is in the pocket of Donald Trump and does whatever Donald Trump asks her to do. Last week, the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Cannon should have never initiated the proceedings in the first place. She had no jurisdiction. The ruling goes like this. We cannot write a rule that allows any subject of a search warrant to block government investigation after the execution of the warrant. Judge William Pryor for a unanimous panel ruling. Nor can we write a rule that allows only former presidents to do so. Either approach would be a radical reordering of our case law limiting the federal court's involvement in criminal investigations, and both would violate bedrock separation of powers limitations. The thing about it is, is they couldn't make the final decision. You know who had to make the final decision, make the final final uh, announcement? Aileen Cannon. So on a Monday, Cannon made the termination of the special master proceeding official. She said, this case is dismissed for lack of jurisdiction. She had to say that. What she's basically saying there is a huge slap in the face. She's basically saying, I have to dismiss this because I didn't have jurisdiction, which is something she probably should have considered before she made the stupid fucking decision. Cannon's order said any scheduled hearings are canceled, any pending motions are denied as moot, and all deadlines are terminated. Now, in a tweet on Monday, attorney Norm Eisen noted that Cannon never should have initiated the special master proceeding. Donald Trump's lawyers should have never asked for it. But even if they did ask for it, Aileen Cannon should have never allowed it because she didn't have jurisdiction. And how do we know that? Well, she just made that in her own decision. She was forced to say, oh, yeah. I don't have jurisdiction. She looks like a fool, and I don't know if there'll be any ramifications from this, but she can only hope there are, because clearly she doesn't know what she's fucking doing. Or she's corrupt and just siding with Donald Trump against any case law out there. This is something that real lawyers have said all along. But still, we had to go through the process. We had to go through appeals, because that's what Donald Trump does. But when the final result comes to pass, all these real lawyers were correct, and Judge Aileen Cannon was absolutely fucking wrong, and Donald Trump's legal team was fucking wrong. Now, Trump's legal team knew it was wrong. They were just trying to kill time, and for whatever reason, Judge Aileen Cannon was willing to allow them to do it. But has been proven out, she had no business doing it, and she had to own it, and she had to make the decision. 
Why this woman is still a judge, I don't fucking know. I can only hope this comes back to haunt her and somebody looks at uh, somehow dismissing her from her position because clearly she has no business being in that position. We talked about Kristen Cinema and how she decided to defect from the Democratic Party and become an independent. A lot of people are worried about it, and I've told you before, don't, do not worry about it. Do not worry about it. Representative Ruben Gallego, Democrat from Arizona, claimed Monday that Kirsten Cinema left the Democratic Party last week because she was afraid of facing him in a primary. And he's absolutely right. The Democrats in Arizona hate Kristen Cinema. She did everything to sabotage anything important coming through the Senate. And the Democrats in Arizona are not happy about it. In fact, they are already planning on a primary. Presumably, Ruben Gallegos running against her, and she cannot win. So here we go. She's uh, going to be up for re-election in two years, in 2024. She's going to get primaried. She's going to lose. So what do you do? Well, she does what she does. She turns independent. So now she can't be primaried. She still has the option to run in 2024 for her current seat. But she really has no chance of winning. And she knows that, whether she's, she won't get the nomination from the Democrats and she can't win as an independent. If nothing else, she's trying to save some face here. Well, you're going to get primaried. Oh, that's all right. I, I didn't want it anyway. Because she's all about attention, as we know, and all about people's perception of her. And it's not going to be good if she goes into the primary and fucking loses to Ruben Gallego. Gallego joined MSNBC's All In, where he and host Chris Hayes discussed the senator's decision to leave the party. Cinema will still caucus with the Senate Democrats. See, this is what you have to understand. This doesn't ace out the Democrats in this situation. Kristen Sinema went to Senator Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate, and said, I'd like to keep my committee assignments. And Schumer said she could. But there's no way he would say she could or allow her to stay on the committees unless she pledged her support for the Democrats. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this does nothing to fuck up the Senate for the Democrats. Basically, it's, you know, she's going to register as an independent, but it's not going to change anything she does in the Senate. So we still have the 51 seats. We will still have control in the committees and the uh, majority, of course. So you don't need to worry about that. She's just playing some game for opticals, I guess. It's really not going to affect anything in the Senate. So if you think she screwed it up for us, she didn't. She can't. Because if she does, she will have no committee, no committee, um, appointments. They'll all be taken away from her. And she ain't going to want to do that. Gallego went on to say, right now, if I had to choose, would you run for the Senate? The Democrat from Arizona said he is currently exploring a 2024 run. So he's looking into that possibility. Does he have a chance? What might happen? But I think you can feel pretty confident that if Ruben Gallego, and he would be the best choice to run for the Senate because he's in the House of Representatives, if not him, it will be somebody else. It will not be Kristen Sinema, especially now that she's an independent. So Gallego went on to say, well, right now what I'm choosing to do is to put the team together so I can make that decision, he said. I've been putting together a great team, I think, that will help me get in the right direction. I'm a Marine first, a Congressman second, and Marines are prepared. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm getting prepared. So Hayes asked Gallego if he was surprised to see Cinema leave the Democratic Party. 
His response was this. No, not really. I thought she was going to do this eventually. Look, she claims to be an independent. That's not the case. The case is that she can't win a primary against me, and this is her only option. And more importantly, you know, she really just abandoned the values of Arizona, and her being independent has nothing to do with the values of Arizona. It just means that she has an easier time to run, and she can go talk to her friends in Wall Street and the pharma companies, because that's really who she's working for. Big money on Wall Street, the pharma companies. Gallego said he had not spoken to cinema recently and said she no longer represents her constituents. I mean, let's be perfectly fucking honest. When she was voted into office, she was voted as a Democrat. People voted for her because she was a Democrat. But now she's not a Democrat. So who does she represent? Nobody. Fucking nobody. Well, we know the House of Representatives right now is in all kinds of trouble, the Republicans anyway, because they have to come up with the Speaker of the House on January 3rd. They have to vote and pick a Speaker of the House. The problem, though, is that nobody on the Republican side in the House of Representatives can garner 218 votes, which is what it's going to take for them to elect a Speaker of the House. Kevin McCarthy's in trouble. They're looking for alternatives to House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and are slowly building momentum as he faces opposition that threatens to sink his bid. On one side now, McCarthy's fiercest detractors are teasing that they are people interested in being a viable GOP consensus substitute for the current minority leader. On the other, members are say preliminary conversations are happening among Republicans and Democrats about a possible contingency candidate if McCarthy can't win the gavel after multiple ballots in the new GOP majority of the House next month. See, that's what's going to happen. Kevin McCarthy runs and he can't win and they go through several ballots and he's still not winning. Guess who they're going to go to for some help? The Democrats. The Democrats, what do they have, 212 or 214 votes? They could help to vote in a House Speaker, but it's not going to be somebody like Kevin McCarthy. It's going to be somebody acceptable to the Democrats, you know, at least relatively uh, uh, acceptable. I mean, the most acceptable would be somebody like Hakeem Jeffries from the Democratic Party. But that's not going to happen because the Republicans are in power. So Kevin McCarthy can't get elected. Nobody else can get elected. Somebody's going to go to the Democrats and say, I need all your votes. I'll get a few more and then I'll be Speaker of the House. And that would be awesome if that's what happens. Now, neither side will name names fearing that anyone mentioned as a candidate would go or, or get intense blowback. Now, if somebody were to come out now and we didn't deliver enough votes to stop Mr. McCarthy, that there would be a real potential for blowback, said Andy Biggs, who's one of the guys who's interested. He's a former chair of the House Freedom Caucus who has mounted a protest challenge to McCarthy for the House GOP nomination, a bid he is continuing as he searches for an alternative. They want to be very careful, so I think I think people are interested. They've expressed it to some of us. I think people are being wary. Yeah, because it's it's a tough situation. If you go in there and say, I want to beat Kevin McCarthy, but then somehow Kevin McCarthy does win the Speaker of the House, that motherfucker's in trouble. There is going to be a problem. And we know what Republicans are like, so they're going to be very vindictive on their own people, which is fine with me. As long as they're fighting amongst themselves, they don't have time to pay attention to the Democrats. Now, Representative Bob Good from Virginia told Fox News there are a number of candidates who have come to McCarthy's conservative opponents privately to say they'd like to be considered for speaker once it's clear he cannot win the votes. Representative Matt Gates has publicly called for other House Republicans to step up as alternatives. 
Big thinks there are still around 20 House Republicans members who will be hard nose on McCarthy, which would be enough to deny him a majority total of the lawmakers. Yeah, you don't even need fucking 20. They need like five. Right now, Biggs, Good, and Gates are part of a group of five GOP members, along with Representative Matt Rosendale and Ralph Norman. Remember that name? He's the guy that was sending the text messages to Mark Meadows about martial law, spelled M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. If I was in South Carolina and Ralph Norman was, was representing me, if not for the leaning toward insurrection... The fact that the motherfucker doesn't know how to spell Marshall would be troubling to me. Now, these guys have said or indicated they will not vote for McCarthy or present on the House floor in the next Congress. Several others have withheld support for McCarthy without revealing how they would vote. On Thursday, seven more hardline conservatives signed a letter laying out demands for what they want from a GOP speaker in terms of House rules and priorities without naming McCarthy. The California Republican has held several meetings with members of that group on potential rules changes. See, Kevin McCarthy has a problem. He's still aligned with Donald Trump and MAGA, but they're all mad at him because he was the one in leadership when they lost the midterms. For all intents and purposes, they lost. They were embarrassed in the midterms. So when that happens, they, of course, want to look to other leadership. And Kevin McCarthy has fucked up on so many occasions, they don't want him Running, They don't want him as Speaker of the House. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have the uh, people who are trying to step away from MAGA, and they definitely don't want Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy is buddies with Donald Trump, who has become nothing but a liability and a loser for the Republican Party. So, this is going to be interesting and potentially embarrassing on January 3rd if Kevin McCarthy doesn't get voted in after a few ballots, because at that point, it's going to turn into a shit show. At that point, they're going to try to get somebody else elected. And when that doesn't work, they're going to have to go to the Democrats and work something out because they have to have a Speaker of the House. If they can't have their favorite guys or their conspiracy theory guys, they're going to have to compromise and they're going to have to compromise with the Democrats because they've got 212, 214 votes. They can put somebody over the top if they want to and only if they want to. So this person better be fucking acceptable. And if it's acceptable to the Democrats, you can bet it's not going to be acceptable to the MAGAs and the people trying to step away from the MAGAs. So that's going to be entertaining. And that's coming up January 3rd. It's a little ways off yet, but uh, it's going to be fun. All right, we're getting close to wrapping things up here. I just wanted to say something real quickly. I don't even like talking about Elon Musk or Twitter because I don't fucking care. Elon Musk's Twitter has dissolved its Trust and Safety Council, the advisory group of around 100 independent civil, human rights, and other organizations that the company formed in 2016 to address hate speech, child exploitation, suicide, and self harm, and other problems on the platform. Now, the council had been scheduled to meet with Twitter representatives yesterday night, but Twitter informed the group via email that it was disbanding it shortly before the meeting was to take place, according to multiple members. So what's that mean? It sounds like it's a free-for-all on Twitter. You don't have this advisory group. You're going to let everything fly. And once Elon Musk lets everything fly, fires everybody, nobody's watching anything. Watch this app, Twitter, burn to the fucking ground. Because Elon Musk is siding with the Republicans, and Elon Musk can't win this one. The Republicans are going to go down in flames over the next two years, and if that's all that's using Twitter ultimately, so will Twitter. It's unfortunate, but that's what's going to happen.
So we'll watch it closely and see what happens. Frankly, this country has bigger problems than fucking Twitter. So I don't really care. But I know there's a lot of people uh, that listen to the show on, on TikTok that are on Twitter. And they put a lot of time and effort and they've got following and such. And I feel bad for them because they're going to go down in flames with this fucking app and with Elon Musk. After putting in all that time and work, it's going to be taken away because Elon Musk is a fuck up. Anyway. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to sit and listen. I want to remind you that after this podcast, another podcast will drop later today, and that will be a uh, listener podcast, and it will be listener Trevor, and it's an interesting show. It's a little different than most shows we do here, but it's interesting nonetheless. So you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.